Hallelujah. Amazing love. Father, we just thank you that we are saved. We rejoice in our salvation today. That we have eternal life abiding within us. Hallelujah. We acknowledge the Holy Ghost who is our teacher. We acknowledge his ministry, his work. May this time bring forth an impartation from the word that would transform us and strengthen us and enable us to fulfill your purpose. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I want to share a word with you that um, I feel directed of the Lord here. And share some things about the coming anointing. You need to know this. We've been hearing about a life making a difference and about making disciples. And in hearing those things, you must also have an awareness of the anointing of the Holy Ghost that's going to correspond with what the Lord's telling you to do. Otherwise, you're relegated to doing it in your own ability, or at least to be tempted to. And that will mean no fruit. So what I have to share with you, the uh, Holy Spirit gave to me his first week of December 2020. As my custom is, I, I wake up when I wake up. I don't sleep as long as most people. But what I do is I'll just lay still. I'll be still. Because nothing's on my mind. If you go to sleep in peace, you wake up in peace. If you go to sleep having a released faith and cast all your care on the Lord, you wake up without any of that. And that's like prime time, prime position to hear from God. Selah. I think it's uh, Isaiah 50 verse 4 states that or speaks that. And so I'm just laying there, meditating, listening. That's my custom. And the Lord begins to speak to me from his word of what's coming, and the coming anointing. Now, as you hear this, don't hear it from an informational standpoint, but hear it with the, with the understanding coming that I need to release my faith for this. Because God releases anointings, but only those who lay hold of it by faith walk in it or see it manifest. It's not just enough to know about it, and he's not going to do it apart from your faith. But we hear a word from God, we mix our faith with it, and the Spirit of God is released as we release faith and obey the Lord. So open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. And this is a little bit of an end times message as well for those of you that like that. I'll give you something to chew on here. <laughs> We're living in the end times, so this is very relevant to us. But Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. 
And it goes on. But this is speaking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist saw himself in the Word. Isaiah chapter 40 also speaks of John the Baptist's ministry preparing the way. So we need to see ourselves in the Word. What's the Word of God say about us? You can lay hold of that. We don't try to extract something out of the Word and make it say what we want to say what we want to hear and say, oh, that's a promise to me. That's a wrong handling of the word to do that. And a lot of people over the years have been taught to do that. You pull a scripture out of context and say, well, that's, that's a promise to me. Where it has no element of promise to it at all. So we don't want to do that. But there are things in the word that speak to us about our life. And we mix faith with that and understanding this speaks to my purpose in life. This speaks to my time on the earth. So this word here, Malachi 3, 1, speaks of John the Baptist, the messenger sent to prepare the way. And he even said that about himself. He's there to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, with the things God would do, there's always a preparational process. There always is. Uh, you know, we live in, uh, people like to proudly say, farm country, Pennsylvania, farm country. Well, farmers must prepare the land, prepare the soil to plant the crop. If you don't do that, you're not going to be very successful as a farmer. And there's a lot of preparation. If you're going to have a baby, you prepare your home for that child to come. Even the animal kingdom does that. I remember we had moved to a different location, and it was January, and a stray cat showed up at our front door. Well, we took a stray cat in. Little did we know she was pregnant. And she made, she prepared in the closet for a litter she's going to have, you know, like sort of scratching things together, and she prepared that. The animal kingdom even does that. It's kind of funny when when uh, you're a young couple, you're going to have your first child, and there's something comes over that young lady, or it could be an old lady. I mean, Sarah had a child when she was older. But there's something that comes over you, and we call it that, that nesting instinct. Where you got to prepare the nest. And if there's nothing being done, it could even create some anxiety there. You know, we have to get ready for this child. So the honey-do list just gets bigger <laughs> for her helper, her husband. But you've got to be ready. So even by nature, we tend to do that. How much more so with the things of God in ministry? We can hear about things he wants to do and things to come. And while you're waiting, many times we say, oh, Lord, when's this going to happen? When's it going to happen? Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I've been standing and praying for three months. Like, like that's a long time. I've been standing and praying. When, you're, when you have something from God about your future and you're in the waiting period, wisdom will seek the Lord. What must I be learning or doing that's going to prepare me for this thing I'm going to enter into. So God doesn't say the time has come for this. And you have no clue what's, what to do. 
till we seek him in those things. Well, God prepared, or in his plan, he had a singular messenger preparing the way for the Lord. John the Baptist, who was preaching a message of repentance that their hearts could be prepared as the Christ is revealed before them. So let's drop down chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. And it says, For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven. Yea, all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root or branch. But to you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness or the, the light of the righteousness of God, arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and shall grow up as calves of the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him, in horror for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dread, dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, he speaks here of sending Elijah and John the Baptist was referred to as Elijah, but it's actually the anointing of Elijah. The Elijah anointing was on John the Baptist. And the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord is not speaking of the first appearing of Jesus. John prepared the way for that. He's already come. But the second coming of Jesus that same anointing is going to be released, preparing the way for the second coming. Now, we know we're closing in on the end of the end times, but we don't really know well, how many years is that going to be yet? Is it going to be next year, 20 years, 100 years? We don't know. Scripture's plain about that. You don't know. But what we can know is the signs of the times and the seasons. And we know we're close because there are things scripturally that we're seeing uh, fulfilled. That being said, young people, Jesus isn't coming next week, so don't get anxiety about it. I remember back when we had our high school and I had Bible class with our high school students every day. And there would be talk at times of the, the return of the Lord. I especially remember some of these teenage girls your age they start getting in anxiety well i want to experience getting married and i want to have a baby and well he can't come next week he can't come next year i'll miss all of that well when he comes what you're going to enter into is better than all that stuff to begin with but i have some news for you he's not coming next week because there's too much work to do the great harvest must be brought in the word is very prophetic to that, 
that in this coming time, there is going to be that last great harvest of souls of every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people group. And he's going to use many of you to help bring it in. I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Watching a great harvest. There's such a joy in seeing that. We've not really been in times of the outpouring of the Spirit in this country for a long time. You know, people see, oh, there's some wild meetings at some churches. That's not that. I remember years ago when I first began to go to Nigeria and they were having a real outpouring to where multitudes are coming to Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. And my apostle friend, Brother Ema, he times when he would, something was striking funny, sort of grunts, and has this deep bass voice. Huh, it's good you come to Nigeria now. You get to see great harvest. Ha, ha, ha. Because he knows, you know, how it is here. I mean, you have to really work at it. Sometimes there's places where the fruit's fallen off the tree. You just pick it up off the ground. Or as my friend in Columbia told me one time, when he first went down there, the fish are jumping into the boat. You know, there's fishing. You know, there's fishing with a big net. You get a bunch. There's fishing with a pole. You get one. But he said, oh, the harvest is flowing into where the fish are jumping in the boat. There was another person who's a missionary down there now, had that conversation with him. He said, I've got to go to Columbia. I want to see the fish jump in the boat. Brother Randy knows him. His name is Andrew. And uh, he's in Medellin. My friend Randy, he was in Cali, but uh, it's a very strong apostolic ministry there. And in the old Soviet, the fish were jumping in the boat. How about Dale? It's different. Fish jumping in the boat. And I remember going on a trip. I wanted to go to Russia with uh, the Swedish group from their Bible school. We ended up uh, going into uh, Serbia during the war, Hungary, and Romania. And this was just, just a couple years right after the communism came down. Everything was still a mess and rather destroyed. At the one time in Hungary, I needed to get to a phone to call home and give a command to the church. I command everybody to pray for me right now. I walked for miles. There wasn't a phone that worked anywhere. I ended up in this bar, and there was a Hungarian wedding going on, and there was like about 20 foot of tables with food, I mean piled. And they had the old Lawrence Welk music going on. And I'm standing in there, and I call my wife. I won't go into the whole story. The good part of the story, but just the relative part here. And I called my wife, said, Donna, you call everyone the church and you say that I command them to pray now because we need a Holy Ghost to show up here with us this whole circumstance and situation. <laughs> Communism destroys. Don't let anybody lie to you. A lot of young people believe in lies of this idealistic thought that denies the sinfulness of man and that only salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. And they, they're, they're believing these lies. Oh, socialism, good. It's evil. It's demonic. It's right from the pit of hell. 
It's designed to control your life. It's enough for my uh, little government and history lesson here for the moment. So anyway, Jesus isn't coming back next week because there are billions that need to hear the gospel. And that word has to go to every corner of the earth. It's going to have to go out to the remote village areas. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of villages. I mean, just like in India alone, where I go, they've never heard the gospel once. Don't have electricity or running water. And somebody has to go. And then you, you can just go on down the line naming countries. There's a great work to be done. And some of you, you may end up there. <laughs> well, I was talking about having fun. There's nothing like it. We ended up in, 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 uh, this was in, in Hungary. Again, it's a whole long story there of miracles, but we were in a stadium there and in Belgrade, Serbia during the war. We had a big football. Okay. We call it soccer. Football stadium rented, packed out. And, and multitudes were just running to Jesus every night. And I would stand there and weep every night. I mean, just weep. And I'm not an emotional guy. Church is my emotional high point in my life. To worship Jesus is my emotional high point. My wife says, you know, sometimes people say, your face is always the same. <laughs> you always, and I, I count that as a compliment, consistency. And there's people who think they know me because they just see me when I'm preaching. But that, that's when I'm at my emotional peak. I mean, rest of the time, I'm just like Mr. Even Keel. Easy going, even keel. But I would stand and just weep watching that harvest come in. And I used to jokingly say, you know, when we were first going to Siberia, went along with Dale a few times and you could give the definition of a deacon and everybody would get safe. And I'm serious. Because they were in such bondage and oppression. And now the chains were broken. And at the mere hearing of the gospel, and in any way, I mean, they just run to Jesus. There was an old wise man named Arthur Burt who once said, in a greater time, a lesser man can do a greater work. Now think about that for a second. In a greater time, a lesser man can do a greater work. If you're in a time of a great outpouring of the Spirit where there's great hunger, the chains are being broken, people have been crying out for liberty, for life, for truth. In that time, a lesser man can do a greater work. So, and the reason I say that, so you don't think you have to be Mr. Superman or Superwoman. You just go with the truth you know and speak the truth of Jesus Christ that you know that's revealed to you. You give what you have. Silver and gold have I had none. Such as I have I give unto thee. To make a difference, you don't have to become the super great. You just have to be willing to go and you give what you have. And as you give what you have, maybe all you know is 
John 3.16, you give that, it'll bear fruit and God will bring more to you. <laughs> Amen. Are you hearing me? <laughs> well, the anointing of Elijah prepares the way for the Lord. And there's a great harvest to be done. And most of you have never seen that in operation yet. So it's all the more you have to hear it by faith and take it by faith. Lest you be limited and limit God by your life experience. If you've not really seen an outpouring where massive numbers of people are running to Jesus, it's very easy to limit God. And, and to think, well, you know, well, I'm not going to get too committed here with evangelism because maybe one person will get saved this year. And that might be your experience. But that, in the times of God, in the seasons of God, that can flip on its head. But does he have a people ready to bring in the harvest? General Douglas MacArthur, who was a Christian man, who was our top military official over the, the Pacific Theater of World War II, he saw the Japan's God fall. And he sent word back, their God has fallen to the churches now. Send 10,000 missionaries. We can take Japan for Christ. Japan's largely a Buddhist nation today because the church wasn't ready for what God was about to do. Church didn't have 10,000 missionaries. There's a great outpouring to come. We need our 10,000 missionaries. God forbid we miss that. I remember when, uh, as I met Dale, and it was a few years in the, the uh, aftermath of the, the communist fall, falling, and I remember conversations, Dale. We need, I think you said like 50,000, 60,000 people to send in. Remember talking about those things? We didn't have 50,000, 60,000 people. There still hadn't been that many sent in to my knowledge. And a lot of the harvest is going unreached. And, I mean, you had like Eastern Europe, you had the whole of Russia, which is huge. The church wasn't ready. The Middle Eastern nations, the same thing's going to happen. You could hear numbers like 1%. I was in, even in Croatia, was there a year and a half ago, and they told me only about one-tenth to one-half or one-percent of the people there are true believers. It's a Catholic-dominated country. I, w I was, like, shocked. There are nations like that, many of the Middle Eastern, very small numbers, but that's changing because the work of God's like not like an on-off switch. It's in progress, and it increases. Those nations shall open for the gospel. But will the church be ready? When the, the, when the window of the souls of the heart of men and women in these nations open, will the missionaries be ready to go in? And that involves a lot. You have to, it takes money to do that. And it's not that they all have to come from here either. 
from the, from the body of Christ worldwide. It's just been historically, in the last century, uh, I think it's estimated about 90% of missionary work came out of the U.S. or was financed out of here. That's why the devil wants to take us down. Something the Lord showed me before another side thought is that God blessed this nation with great wealth and purpose, not because we're like more righteous or anything else, but was to finance the gospel to the nations in this end time. And also we've stood with Israel. And when those two things stop, you will see poverty in this nation like we've never seen. As long as the church will continue to do her job, the prosperity of the Lord shall continue to flow through this nation because it's for that purpose and cause she was raised up to be what she is. It's all about the missionary work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why are you with me here? The anointing of Elijah is going to be released before the second coming of the Lord but it's not going to be on one man or a prophetic office, but on the body of Christ. That There's an anointing, and I'm going to go into that anointing because we need to have faith out there for what God's going to do, how the anointing of the Holy Ghost is going to work in us and through us to bring His purposes to pass. Yes, we need to preach the gospel. We need to evangelize. We need to make disciples. But apart from the anointing, we won't be very fruitful. So this anointing, before the great, that same anointing is going to come, the Elijah anointing is going to come before the second coming. Malachi 3 talks about the first coming, Malachi 4, the second coming, where it calls it the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The Lord's second coming, he is coming to bring judgment. The first coming, he brought salvation. All right. As we proceed along with this thought, I want to express to you, I'm going to make reference to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he, the Apostle Paul speaks of the second coming of the Lord again and makes mention of the Antichrist spirit at work. And it says his full manifestation won't come except there be a great falling away. And in the Greek, this word falling away, does not means there's going to be a bunch of people backslide. That's not what it's saying. But rather, everyone, this is what's in process now. What's going on spiritually in this, in the earth? What's in process is that every person on the planet is being brought to make a choice. They can choose Antichrist or Jesus Christ. And we've seen it escalate in the last couple of years in ways that have been rather unimaginable. Ultimately, there is the use of money to control humanity. We see it in the book of Revelation. That uh, many will be killed 
if they don't take the mark of the beast, which we understand would be like a computer identification. Yet it won't be long. We'll be in digital currencies. And if they can then control, if you don't bow, we, we turn you off. And these kind of things are already in, in uh, process today. The technology made, made all this possible. I remember it was like eight years ago, I think, when my son was in the military. This might even be 10. I picked him up at the airport. He was home on leave. We're going to leave the airport in Baltimore. I said, oh, you want me to get you something to drink? He said, no, no, I got this, Dad. So he walks up and stands in front of a soda machine, pushes the button, what he wants, out pops a soda. And I'm thinking, how did he do that? He didn't put any money in. They had a chip in his uniform where they know, now this is like 10 years ago stuff now, they know the exact location of every one of their soldiers. So in your battle, there's some benefit. They can see where there's six friendlies over here and there's, you know, they have the heat sensor technology with satellites and drones and all that. And there's, there's 20 evil guys on the northwest corner. There's five friendlies down on the second story. They can see all that. In this case, his his uh, finances were through that chip. That machine read his finances. The chip wasn't in his skin. <laughs> it wasn't on his forehead. It was in his uniform. Praise God. Uh, and out pops the soda machine. But, you know, you take that kind of technology. And it's an easy sell. Well, nobody can steal from you. Let's just put it in your head or on your hand. Then, you, you know, you can't lose your money. Nobody can steal it. Easy sell for dumb people. But see, by doing that, you're positioned to be completely controlled or cut off if when the time comes, you don't bow the knee to some decree. And it's working up towards you all are the crazy people who are a threat to the rest of them. I mean, that's what they're trying to sell. It's taken some time. We don't have to be afraid. You know, back with Elijah, God supernaturally provided for him. He was a marked man. So if he did that for Elijah, if, if need be, he can supernaturally provide for you. Like I told that story with the lady in Ukraine. He can, he can have angels deliver boxes of food to your door. Let's not limit God. And let's not worry about the future. Stay full of the word. And I was sharing this yesterday. Stay full of the word. Whatever you enter into, you have whatever you need to face it anyway. Because his word's in you and his word. We have a covenant with God and promises that cover everything you would need or anything you're going to come into. So fear not. <laughs> well, this anointing of Elijah and saying, uh, the Antichrist spirit, the falling away, is he is working to force everyone to choose him. But that Elijah anointing brings people to a choice, Jesus Christ. How many times have you shared Jesus with someone and they weren't willing to make a choice? And they said, well, you know, maybe 
maybe tomorrow next time. The best time to make a choice is when conviction powers upon you. Sometimes God's asked, he wants to challenge you to step out into something and you put it off. And then that conviction gets weaker. The moment of conviction is the time to make a, a choice to obey God or take a step of faith moving forward. You hear what I'm saying? That could be today for some of you. There are times the Lord's saying, I'm making it known to you. I am calling you now to ministry. There'll be a preparational time. There'll be down the road here. And you either say yes or no. I remember the day I said yes. We had just started a church. And uh, I'm as just in love with Jesus. I didn't really know I'd be doing all that I'm doing. God won't show you too much of what you're going to do because before I was saved, I was preparing myself to go live in a wilderness, live off the land, you know, grow my own food, grow my own pot. I mean, a whole bit. I was ready for all of that because I thought people were the problem only to find it was sin and devils in me. And now I'll be out alone in the wilderness with my own sin and devils. The answer wasn't getting away from anything. The answer was running into Jesus, pressing into him, laying hold of life. <laughs> Some people still want to run away. There's only one place to run. That's right to him. Keep running to him. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember that day. It was a meeting. It was a brother by the name of Barry Ryan. Maybe you know Barry. He went to be with the Lord a few months ago. Great man of God. And he had that evangelist anointing going there. And it was a word for me. And I was sitting, you know, maybe about back here where Josh is sitting. And uh, the, the anointing came over me. And I just stood there and wept. I'm Mr. Non-Emotional Guy. So there, because I said yes to Jesus. And everything just melted before him. Didn't know what all was up ahead. God doesn't show you. People always want to know, what's ahead? What's ahead? Most reasons people want to know all that so they can try and figure it out. And in their own ability, make something happen. Learn just day by day. Step of faith day by day. Just keep loving Jesus every day. And be content in that if yesterday and today and tomorrow are the same. Loving Jesus is no greater thing. Right where you are. But for some, that conviction might come even, even today. Tonight. While you lie on your bed. Could be in this meeting. And there's that yes moment. And many times if we do not respond to the Holy Spirit when conviction's upon us, we miss what God had. Now, God's very gracious. He might, uh, he came back to uh, Samuel like three times and said, Samuel, Samuel. <laughs> so finally, Samuel answers him. But don't put that off. Okay, well, back to this anointing. The Antichrist spirit's working to make people choose to follow him. 
at the same time as we draw closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, that anointing that was on, on Elijah is going to bring people to a choice. Now, I want to be real clear about this. It's not you pushing people. Say a prayer, say a prayer, say a prayer. You don't use fear. In the fear of the Lord, we so esteem his work that he has done and wants to do that, that we will press in no matter how ugly the people are all around us. But we need to have faith for it. You know, if, if you're called in healing ministry, you need to have faith that that healing anointing is going to come and transfer through you onto that person you're praying for. You don't just stand and say, God, I hope something happens. It's by faith you draw upon that anointing to give it out to somebody else. We're just a conduit that will flow through. It's the same with this. Where we may have seen where you you have to keep reaching out and reaching out and reaching out and sharing and sharing and sharing. Finally, they get saved. You know what my expectation is? Lord, lead you across somebody's path. You have a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. You see the window of their souls open. You take that step to show forth the compassion of Jesus. And when you're speaking of who he is and what he did, there is a convicting power and anointing of the Holy Ghost going to come upon them. And they can't say that prayer fast enough. They're just waiting. When are you going to stop talking? This is, lead me into this. God can move like that. Maybe you've never seen it, but it's coming. I've seen it in some other countries before. Where that kind of hunger comes. This is why in 2020 I thought, man, this is great. This spirit of fear, as much as it agitated me. If you live in faith, that's just an agitation. You've seen people cowering in fear to that fear devil. But man, this is great. Great times. Because they're going to realize that what they trusted in can't save them, can't bring joy, can't bring peace, can't do anything for them. And you just stand there and exist in Christ. How can you have such joy? How can you be so happy? How can you have peace? You know, when, when that's in you, it's just always there. It's not something you work up. I, I'm just reminded, I had a laugh and laugh to myself. My son Jesse had joined the Army. After boot camp, they did this like group picture. It was probably like 120 young men. And, uh, you know, they all had this hard look on their face. They were actually instructed that way. And you could pick him out of the crowd of 120 in a moment. Because he was beaming with this huge smile. And there'd be times the drill sergeants would say, Hank, what are you smiling at? Do 50 push-ups. They thought, they think he's mocking them or something. They give a command, he's just smiling. It was there all the time. Why? Because of Jesus living inside of you. We don't, we want to carry the, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the love of God in us. And if you just love on it, just love being with Him, it's not, it's not like an effort. It's just, it's just 
how you exist. I take it as a great compliment if someone says, you convict me of my sin. I don't try to do that. I'm sorry. In 1984, we, we, took our, we, we, we went down to Kenneth Copeland Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, and Jerry Savell was there, and Ed Cole. Brother Copeland was introducing Brother Cole to all his people. Oh, man, it was glorious. It was powerful. You sit in something and saturate. You don't know what all's getting on to you till you go back home and open your mouth. So we come back. It's like Monday morning. I went into a restaurant to have breakfast. I just go in. I sit down. I'm sitting at the counter. And I get my New Testament out. I'm waiting for the waitress. I'm just reading the word. This waitress sort of him hauling around. Finally, she comes over. She starts weeping. She says, you convict me of my sin. Pray for me. Tears running down her face. There's a guy sitting all around. She didn't care. It wasn't me. Do I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't, she didn't know who I was. I didn't say a word. It was the presence of God because I spent a week saturating in Brother Copeland's convention. And the anointing was so strong you just walk into to the restaurant and this lady gets saved. Don't underestimate what's happening here even this day. You see, too often Christians fall into, you get, like you have to try to make something happen. No, just stay full with him, love on him, obey him. You do what he, he tells you to do, say what he tells you to say. And just watch him work. I want your expectation to go to a higher level here. It can be here. Like it was in the old Soviet or in Africa and some of these places at other times. Where the harvest just rolls in. When you see that happen, I would expect you would react like I did. Just stand there and weep. How many times have you probably done that, Brother Dale? Terry, you just stand there and weep. Because souls are being delivered out of darkness. From a destiny of hell. Out of torment. Out of hopelessness. Into the kingdom of God. You have like this little part. Let's not make it about us. It's not about us. Well, the Elijah anointing. Now we could go to First uh, Kings chapter 18. I'm going to quote it. You can turn to it. You can look at it with your eyes while I speak it. But it's First Kings 18. You know the story. There's a confrontation going to happen where Elijah's going to confront King Ahab. And at beginning down around verse 20, he says, uh, go call all the prophets of Baal and all the people of Israel together. So the people come together and his anointing and ministry wasn't about Ahab. It wasn't about the king. It was about the people. You know, Elijah didn't uh, 
wasn't even the one where Ahab was judged. That came on through Elisha, his successor. But it was about the people. The people were indecisive. They were somewhat following Balaam and somewhat following God. And God, at that time, wanted to bring them. But you make a choice. You make a decision. Who will you call your God? Who are you going to follow? So you know the story. He calls these prophets of Baal and say, oh, make an offering to your God. Nothing happens. You know, when people see that their God has no life, no power, it's not really that hard to turn away from that. We go to remote village areas in India where it's just this Hinduism. They could be worshiping a rat or a, a wooden statue, whatever. There's no life. And when they hear the word and then see people delivered from demons or healings and miracles, half a village or sometimes a whole village will get saved. I've seen it many times. A church that's planted right there, bang. Because what they were serving has no life. In our country, pleasure and money are Lord. Those gods have to fall like the Japanese, the worship, the worship of the emperor fell. Send missionaries. People don't like hearing this, but I want to tell you something. Consider it. Let the Spirit of God deliver you out from it. People here put money first in order to pursue comfort and pleasure. And that is a God. It's what people live for. It's what they're thinking about predominantly. Whatever you're thinking about, for the most part, is your God. Whether you realize it or not. That all is going to have to fall. And we've seen just last year how quickly some things can fall apart. But when that day comes, I see good. Because there'll be many souls of men and women who'll say that which I trusted in can no longer sustain me. And they'll cry out to the living God. And there you are waiting with the gospel, with the anointing of Elijah, to bring them to choose life, to make that choice. So here's Elijah in 1 Kings 18. How long are you going to be in between? There are many who are not pursuing Jesus with all of their heart. They're going to have to make a choice. Hopefully you're not one of them. If you are, hear what the Spirit says to the church. Everyone's going to have to choose. You're either all in for Jesus or you will bow to Antichrist. It was so disappointing to me last year how many churches closed up under a threat from man where God in his word commands us to gather in his name and worship him. That's not an option. That is a command. I have a conviction about that. So it's not even something for me to have to pray about. I know you all stayed open. I know Colorado stayed open. I was talking Brother Dave Landis come up to me uh, the other night here. He stayed open. 
We were both discussing either you believe Psalm 91 or you don't. Either you believe the whole Bible or you don't. But many deceive themselves. Well, yeah, I believe, but. You know someone's in trouble when the but comes in. When the, when the butts are doing their thinking for them. Big trouble. I believe your word, Lord. I will not compromise. I will stand no matter what. Well, the devil's game of 2020 worked for him. There were many nations still shut down. It's heartbreaking to me. I couldn't go to India and Sri Lanka this year. They're, they're closed. Couldn't go. So sad. But I'll be back. You know what the Terminator said? I'll be back. <laughs> well, Jesus said those words too. I'll be back. You just keep on working for me. I'll be back. So this Elijah anointing is going to bring people to a choice. So the fire comes down from heaven. And he looks to them. And they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. People many times desire to see miracles. The primary purpose of miracles is to confirm the word of God. If your heart's hard, you can see all the miracles you want and you still won't get saved. I mean, look at Pharaoh. Miracles don't save people, but for those who are considering, for those who are, are, are being brought to the choice, the miracles help seal the deal. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So expect miracles. When we get into this place where we're, our expectations, God's going to bring in his harvest. And it will involve us doing our part to preach the gospel, to share the word, to make disciples. We have to do our part there. But it's only the Holy Ghost who changes people. And again, never, never push because the, the character of God is gentleness. You don't have to push. When people end up pushy, a lot of pastors do this stuff. They push because they've not come to trust the Holy Spirit to do it. Sometimes people push in their own ability to persuade someone. Don't you ever use guilt to get someone to do the right thing. Don't use fear. Don't use guilt. Don't use condemnation. That's what religion does. You just speak the truth and let it go and let the Holy Ghost bring a conviction. To where they can't, they have to come to Jesus. This anointing brings people to the choice. The people of God, 1 Kings 18, chose to follow the Lord. But it was a work of the Spirit of God, an anointing of God. And the more we see the Holy Spirit work, this is with anything, you get more confident expecting Him. To continue and to do it again and do it in a greater way. Being brought to a choice is throughout the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses, uh, the whole book came like a, a month before they're going to enter the promised land. He was reviewing many things. But he gets down to it, chapter 30. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. 
Choose life. Most of you probably still in school. You get tests from the teacher. When you know the material, you welcome the test. Tests aren't a problem. But when you don't know, you think, oh, no, test. I'm not ready for it. I'm going to study. How much do I know? But the test will show what's in you. So it's always a good thing. But what's really awesome is if you have a teacher who gives you the answers to the test. That's the way to take a test, isn't it? Now, when I taught in our high school, I used to do that because I see that's how God did it. Life and death, blessing and cursing, here's the test. I'll give you the right answer. Choose life. So I review the whole test before I give it. I give all the answers before I give the test. Now, if it's in you, you won't have any trouble remembering it. God gives you the answer to the question or to the test before it even comes. So you don't have to be afraid to test. That's, our teacher's not going to say, you're on your own, figure it out. If you fail, that's tough. No, he wants you to get it right. He gives you the answer. I said before you, life and death. Answer, choose life. Then we have in Joshua chapter 24. They enter into the promised land. Joshua gives an exhortation. Choose you this day whom you will serve. When you enter into blessing, you have to make a choice every time. You can either begin to get your eyes on the blessing more than God who gave it to you. This is the great test. Or you can choose to serve him because he was so faithful and loving to bless you in this way. So upon coming into the promised land, I set before you uh, life and death. Or as they come in, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need to be so bold with that. I'm not afraid to say that. I've chosen to serve the Lord. Never stopped. But it's a choice you make really every day of your life because at any point along the way, you can stop following what his plan and purpose and will was for you. Someone could have been used mightily, mightily. And something begins to get their heart and they're not following wholehearted and you wonder why maybe things will go downhill for them. Or they end up in sin or whatever. Somewhere they didn't. Choose Jesus fresh today. Lord, you're my source of life. You love me. You bless me. I choose you today. The Holy Ghost brings us to a choice. Some people, they, they hold out making a choice because they want to reserve the right to decide and do what they want to do. Again, back First Kings 18.21, it says when he, he brought them to that choice, they didn't answer him. They didn't answer. They didn't want to make a choice. But in these end times, everyone on the planet will hear the gospel, will have the opportunity, and will have to make a choice. Jesus Christ or Antichrist. One brings death. One brings life. One brings blessing. 
one brings cursing. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, may conviction power be released as we ponder this word. The power of the Holy Ghost to bring transformation to our life. I thank you. You're working that work in every one of us here. And Lord, if today is the day for someone here to say yes to you, may the power of God be upon them to make that choice today. Be it to serve you, just to follow you, to answer the call of God, whatever it might be. And Father, as we go forward in this life, may our confidence grow that your Holy Ghost is working with us, in us, and through us. As your Spirit be poured out. And I thank you, Lord, we shall have opportunity to see this last great harvest and be a part of it. I thank you for the great joy, Lord, of seeing children born into your kingdom, which exceeds the great joy of seeing a natural child born. Lord, it shall be in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen.